We're continuing on with our sermon series on Advent and the Attributes of God, and we're going to be focusing a bit on the story of God's dealing with Joseph and his family. So to that end, we're now going to read Genesis 37, verses 12 to 36. So Genesis 37, 12 to 36, this is about uh, Joseph being sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. Now his brothers, that's Joseph's brothers, went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock of Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I have heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. When Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And there, then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt." When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, "This This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his garments and put, on sackcloth, put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, Now I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. As far as the reading of God's word. 
Let's now respond to the reading of God's Word by singing together Psalm 121, stanzas 1 and 2. Our text for this morning's sermon is Genesis 45, the verses 1 to 8. Genesis 45, verses 1 to 8. Now, of course, our, since our reading from Genesis 37, lots of things have happened. Joseph went to Potiphar's house. He was then uh, thrown into prison for being falsely accused. And then eventually he became... Uh, second to Pharaoh in Egypt, his ruler, and he was uh, prov- gathering up food to keep people alive during the famine. And Joseph's brothers, of course, had gone down to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Uh, they did not recognize Joseph, of course. Joseph recognized them. And Joseph had also tested his brothers right before our passage. And so now, right in our passage, Joseph is about to reveal himself to his brothers in Egypt. So then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, Is my father still alive? 
But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. As far the reading of our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, last week we began our sermon series on Advent and the attributes of God. Now Advent, of course, is about the the coming of the Son of God into the world. This is what we remember on at this time of year. But what what we are focusing on in our study is what the coming of the Son of God into the world It tells us about our God, what it reveals to us about our God. And this is a a good thing to study, because we want to know our God more. We want to know him so that we would trust him always, always. And that we would serve him more. That we would love him with all of our heart. And want to live for him. Well, this morning we are looking at the coming of God's Son into the world and God's providence. So what is God's providence? Well, Lord's Day 10 puts it well. I'll briefly paraphrase it. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby is with his hand... He upholds heaven and earth and all creatures so that nothing comes to us by chance, but by his fatherly hand. His fatherly hand. Why is it important to focus on this? Well, it's because we live in a broken world. So much suffering and hardships. There's great trials, there's fears. There's sin and there's pain. When we, when we go through those hard, hard things, <clears throat> then we might really wonder, can this event in my life really match with a confession that all things in life are sent by God's fatherly hand? doesn't seem to make any sense when I just look at the bare facts of what I see with my eyes. What we want to see this morning is that the coming of Christ into the world really does mean that all things in life are sent to God's children by God's fatherly hand for their good. And we hope to explore these precious truths this morning from Genesis 45 and God's dealings with Joseph and his family 
This morning I preach you God's word under the following theme, Advent and the Attributes of God, God's Providence. We'll look first of all at the difficulty of God's providence um, and, and our hardships in life. Or sorry, God's, should be God's providence and our hardships in life. And second of all, God's providence and his good purposes for our lives. Now the first thing we must confess when we talk about God's providence is that it is indeed beyond our complete understanding. Right? Somehow, in some way, God is at work in every event in the world. See, on, on one level, you have humans working, humans acting. But on a completely different level, you have God working in those same events. And we don't know exactly how that all fits together. But this is the truth of Scripture. And this is the truth Joseph confesses in our text when he says to his brothers... It was not you who sent me here to Egypt, not you ultimately, but God. We don't know exactly how this works. On one level, Joseph's brothers were acting. On another level, God was was acting. But it's the truth of Scripture, and so we're content with that. God is good in his workings in this world. It's especially the case that we're content with this truth since this truth is also very comforting. It's comforting because we can go through extreme trials in life where we are utterly perplexed. And you can certainly see that in the story of Joseph. In fact, there's great difficulty for everyone involved here. Think only of Joseph. Yes, it's true that he was not exactly the nicest brother. Think about how he boasted about his dreams to his brothers, both them bowing down to him. But then one day, the trials started. And it was kind of like an explosion in his life that he wasn't prepared for. God led him through extreme hardships. When he went to check on his brothers as his father asked him to, they plotted against him. And then suddenly, without any warning at all, they turned on him. Something he wasn't expecting. They stripped him of his robes. They beat him. They thought about killing him. Thankfully, the Lord restrained their hand through Reuben. Instead, they threw him into a pit or a cistern, but then his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. And that alone was hard enough, but of course, that was not all. He was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard, and there he was working as a slave in a foreign land. But things only got worse. One day, another explosion happened in his life. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of mistreating her. And so he gets thrown into prison. And what do you think? What do you think Joseph must have been thinking at this point? I could think of any number of things. What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening to me Again, 
Why is God letting me go through so much turmoil? Does he even care about me? Does he care about my life? And it is true that God, God led him through this difficult path. God did. Then suddenly things turn. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and baker come into prison. God allows Joseph to interpret their dreams, and the chief cupbearer would be restored to Pharaoh. And Joseph asked the cupbearer to get him out of here when he was free. But we read in Genesis 40, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Forgot him. And you just wonder, how, how could he forget? Well, that too was in God's providence. And then we read in Genesis 41, Joseph had to remain in prison for two more years. Two whole years. I mean, he was thinking, this is my ticket out of here. It was not to be. God made him wait a painfully long time. And Joseph, I, I, I would think, if I were in that situation, I would probably lose all hope. Or I, I might be tempted to. Right? You probably thought, I'm, I'm never going to get out of here. Things will never change. Why? Why has this happened? Now, those were the difficulties for Joseph, but, of course, there was difficulties for others. Think about Joseph's father, Jacob. Right? It's true he, he should not have favored Joseph above his brothers, and that's also a reminder for, uh, for parents to never favor one child or another. Right? It can cause harm. And, but he did, but one day his brothers came home with Joseph's coat torn apart and drenched with blood. And in his mind, he had lost his son, a beloved son. And God let him go through that pain for so many years. So many years. God made him wait. And then there's Joseph's brothers. Yes, they had sinned a great sin against Joseph, against God. And even though God, yes, was working on one level, they were still responsible for their own sin. Right? They can, we can never use God's providence as an excuse to say, well, it's not my fault that I sinned. No, or it's still our responsibility. But this sin came back to haunt them, it seemed. Right? When they came to Egypt to buy grain... They did not recognize Joseph, and Joseph treated them harshly to test them. And they felt conscience-stricken because they were, they just felt they were bearing the burden of their past sin. And they couldn't do anything about it. And so it was, it was a difficult trial for them too. And this is how life can be in a broken world. I'm, I'm sure you know that. There's trouble, suffering, pain. There's fear. There's hardships. Things that don't seem to make any sense. 
things that make us wonder, why did God let this happen? Why am I going through this trouble? Why does he seem to be ignoring my pain? And why does it seem at times only to get worse? And that's the difficulty that can come with God's providence at times, beloved. And we can know, though, we're not alone in this. Think only of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son stepped into this world, taking on Himself a true human nature. He was, Jesus Christ was a true man. As true a person as you are. And as true man, he went through extreme hardships, trials. And the hardships, they began right almost from day one. He was born in a lowly stable of some kind, laid in a manger, and then shortly afterwards, King Herod is out to kill him. And Jesus and his family had to flee to Egypt. This too was in God's providence. And then throughout all his life, he experienced troubles. What does Isaiah 53 say about him? He was a man of sorrows. He was familiar with grief. Familiar. He was despised. He was rejected by men. And of course, there's the worst thing of all. God's providence meant that Jesus Christ as a true man, had to go to the cross. He had to suffer unthinkable things. And Christ knew it was coming. There was no escaping it. But he suffered as one of us. He knows our hardships. Brings us to our next point. Now, I'm certainly not going to leave you here with that message alone. Definitely not. There is more to this story. There's more to God's providence in this. Remember, we confess that God governs all things so that leaf and blade, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us by God's fatherly hand. God is a loving Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are united to his son by faith, and God is our loving father. It can be hard to see that sometimes, can it? Many things in life can make us question that truth. Indeed, sometimes I wonder that too. What good can come out of this? This is also why we should study God's providence in light of Advent, the coming of Christ, into the world. See, God's providence means he was at work in all of history. Right? And God worked all events in this world to ensure that his son would be born into the world at the right time. And why? Why did God send his son into the world? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish would have eternal life. Christ went to the cross to make that truth a reality. Also for you. 
you would not perish but have eternal life. This world can feel like an awful place at times. This is reality in our world due to the fall into sin. It's broken. But here, here is where we must understand the power of Christ's sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice has completely paid for our sins. All right? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In his love, God sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we might be reconciled to God. Reconciled. So that God's face would be turned towards us forever in his blessing. That's the power of Christ's sacrifice for us, beloved. That's why Christ went to the cross. And here's what that beautiful reality of Christ's sacrifice, this is what this means. It means that the suffering of this world has been transformed. Let me say that again. The power of Christ's sacrifice, is, it means that the, the suffering of this world has been transformed for believers. It means, as we read in Romans 8, for those who love God for, for what he has done in Christ, all things work together for good. It means that if God is for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And now think about these truths in relation to our story in Genesis. In all these things, God was working for their good. In all these things. And Joseph, he confessed later on in in Genesis 50 that God was at work in these things. And he says, God meant it for good. We see that with all these, these people involved. God meant it for Jacob's ultimate good. Yes, he went through a lot of pain. He had to trust in the Lord despite the despite the trouble. And God ultimately turned his sorrow to joy. These events were for the good of Joseph's brothers. And think about that. Think about that. These events were for the good of Joseph's brothers. They had been filled with hatred and envy for Joseph. They were willing to beat him, throw him into a pit, and then sell him into slavery and they even lied to their father about what happened. They, they barely even thought twice about their wicked deeds. But God would, in his mysterious providence, turn things around for their good. We could see that, first of all, because he would use these events to change them. To change them. Right, we see Genesis 37, they were willing to do atrocious things. Barely even think about it. As you read through the story, you can see that God was changing them. Right before our text, Joseph spoke harshly against them. 
to test them, right? He had given Benjamin, the youngest brother, his silver cup, and then called them back and then was uh, telling them that Benjamin had to die. And so the brothers, they pleaded with Joseph, still not knowing who he was, and, and Judah was willing to stand in the place of Benjamin to spare his life. And it's because of this that Joseph could not contain himself in front of them any longer. And he cried out, let everyone leave me. You see, he knew that his brothers had been changed. And then he revealed himself to his brothers. How how. How amazing that moment must have been, right? All those years of pain, and there's his brother standing right in front of him. I am Joseph. Isn't that amazing? How moving, emotional, how wonderful. And God brought this wonderful reunion about. Now, this is a comforting truth from our text. When, we, when they faced the heat of Joseph's testing, they couldn't help but only think about their guilt, and they knew they were guilty before God. They confessed that. And all, but all they could think about was that they were just being punished for their wrongdoing. And to be sure, God was disciplining for them for their sin. We have to say that. But despite it all, God was still working for their good. That's never an excuse to sin, but it's a comfort. Joseph's brothers were scared, but Joseph reassured them, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve your life. Well, this is the second way God was working for the good of the brothers. God was preserving their lives, giving them food. God, they meant to get rid of Joseph forever, but God was sending Joseph away to save them. God also preserved a covenant people for himself and the lives of many others. And of course, God used all these things for Joseph's own good. Joseph went through terrible trials. Abuse, human trafficking, false accusation, imprisonment, you name it. But God had the whole picture in view. God was working. He sent Joseph here to preserve life. And we must not stop there. God was working in these events for your good, too, in the lives of Joseph and his brothers. For your good, too. Why do I say that? Well, God did not only have in mind Joseph and his family when he worked these events. He also had in mind your good in this story. And I say that because of Romans 15, verse 4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that includes this story. It was written down for your benefit. God wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to have hope. Now, how does he use this story for our good? Well, first of all, he he uses it to show us that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And I want you to see something interesting about the stories of Joseph and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in many ways, they are very similar. 
Joseph's own brothers were filled with hatred against Joseph. They conspired against him. They beat him. A similar thing happened to the Lord Jesus. Some of his own people, you could say his own brothers, hated him. They conspired against him. They plotted his death. And they, however, went all the way, crucifying him on a cross. Joseph was raised out of the pit, eventually made ruler in Egypt. Pharaoh delighted in Joseph and exalted him. Gave Joseph his signet ring, put a gold chain around his neck, made Joseph ruler underneath him. Joseph was in charge of all the kingdom. We see similar things in the life of Christ. Though he was put into the grave, he was raised from the dead. God delighted in him. He was exalted at God's right hand. He was made king of the world. Christ is in charge of the whole world. And when Joseph was ruler in Egypt, the entire world came to him to buy bread to preserve their lives so that they would not perish. Christ now is on the throne in heaven. People from every nation are coming to him. Coming him to find the bread of life. He gives himself for the life of the world that you would not perish but have eternal life. Christ said in John 6, I'm the bread of life. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. God sent his son in this world to suffer many terrible things, even God's punishment for our sins. But he made him suffer those things so that he could set Christ at his right hand. And by being at God's right hand, Christ would save many people in this world, give them eternal life, give you eternal life. You will never perish in him. In Christ, God is your Father. And so you can be sure that all things in life are sent to you by God's fatherly hand. You can be sure that all things are working for your good in Christ. I know it can be hard to believe that when you focus on your distress in life. It can create doubt in your mind. But God is telling you, trust my word. Trust my promises in Jesus Christ. Hold on to me. His promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus. Now God is not promising you that you will be able to see exactly how things work out for your good. Right? The, the people in this story, they could see how things were working for their good when, the, when that reunion happened. And that's it's amazing how things all work together. But I don't know how the trouble and the, the sorrow and distress you face in your life will be worked out in, in this life. When we are in heaven, when we are finally in heaven with the Lord, then we will understand. And at that time, we will always, always be with the Lord. We will always praise Him. And we will always be filled with perfect joy and perfect peace. And nothing will ever be able to spoil that again. 
You may spill very many tears in this life. And at the end of it all, God, who is your Father in Christ Jesus, will say to you, Come near, my child, and I will wipe away every tear from your eye. Amen.